0: Fancy intro, we're diving right into it because we have to get to Carlos Boozer after I talk to Nio Campbell. This is Round Ball Roundup on utahjazz.com. I'm JP Chunga. Happy Nio Campbell
1: Monday. How are you? I'm great. Happy Monday. How'd you spend the
0: Super Bowl? How was that for you?
1: Halftime show was cool. Um, I'm not. I like the weekend, but I always get excited when people bring out other people. I was really hoping that the weekend would bring out. Why? Why doesn't Drake have a, a halftime? Why hasn't he been asked to do a halftime show?
0: I don't know. I I don't know why he wouldn't jump at that. I was thinking about that with Rihanna. Why hasn't Rihanna done a a halftime show? That would be she, phenomenal. She
1: She hasn't done music in five years. Um, but. Yeah, that would be phenomenal. Um, I'm confused why Drake hasn't done one. And with Jay-Z being over, like, entertainment, Rihanna should have definitely have already been on that list. So, yeah, you're right about that. I'm a little upset. Um, I kind of wish that The Weeknd would have brought out somebody, but I still think he was pretty cool. But the best part for me was the National Anthem, Star-Spangled Banner, her, um, and Jasmine Sullivan, and Eric Church. They killed it, so... That was my favorite part in terms of the entertainment.
0: Black History Month continues and your latest piece dropped. And it's a pretty important one because it is about educating kids. Yeah. Tell us a little bit more about what's going on with the latest one that you were able to drop.
1: For sure. Um, so today, today's episode or, um, is Curly Me. Um, and it's a nonprofit organization that uh, is basically pride itself on educating, and empower, and engaging children of color, specifically young black girls, hence Curly Me, but they do have programs for boys as well. Um, and they just do a variety of programs, whether it be now with like, you know, the pandemic things are on Zoom. So they do mental health check-ins. They do, they brought in black clinicians to like talk with kids. They've had conversations about race. They have events, career fairs where kids can see um, representation in the different fields in a variety of fields. So we got to talk to the uh, founder, Alicia Derisaw, who's actually originally from Jersey, um, also had some time in North Carolina as well. So she's an East Coaster that came out to Utah and has been able to really provide change for the community. Um, And I'm really excited about this episode. Also, I just spoke with her today um, and I told her the news so I can say it on here. The proceeds from the Black History Month t-shirts some of the proceeds will be going to the Curly Me nonprofit organization. And she said, you know, she was about to start crying on the phone. She was like, I already knew today was going to be such a huge day. I had to take a walk and just prepare myself just to have the support of an NBA team standing behind what I'm doing. And then for you to call me and say this, I when I tell you I almost cried, I almost cried. Um, so that was very just powerful to me. I think it's so important, young boys and girls, to be able to see people like them leading the community and to know that their lives matter and that they are represented in a state where it's less than 2% African-American, less than 2% black. Um, It's important to see that representation. So super excited about this episode. Please make sure you guys go and you check it out. Check it out. Facebook,
0: Twitter, Instagram. It's gonna be on utahjazz.com. Very likely once this episode drops, you could see it there check our YouTube page as well. It is all over the place. You can find that episode of black history month stories that Naya is highlighting plus last week's, which has Lovey been going, cakes. going great. You got some good responses
1: yeah, to Lovey.
0: Lovey's cakes.
1: Yeah, it was really, really great. Um, I had people, you know, telling me, messaging me and letting me know if they drove all the way out to Ogden and And they were just so, they had the cupcakes. They were so excited about it. Um, I heard back from Debbie a few times and even got the um, attention of Donovan and Jordan. They both posted it on their stories. Um, Donovan even tagging the company. Um, So that, of course, was huge um, to be able to have the support of the players. So, yeah, it's been pretty great. Really excited about it. Um, Really excited about this series, I think. Um, I'm so happy that the team could be behind us, um, but the team is so supportive of it all. Got to give a huge shout out to Caleb Liming, who is an intern. Um, and he actually edited, edited this second episode of Curly Me. Well, the week before was Alex. Um, but got to give a shout out to the intern um, for cranking that out and listening to all my instructions because I know I'm not easy <laughs> when it comes to my vision. I'm like, we got to get it there. So shout out to him. And Alexa O'Neal, another intern who was really helpful. Shout out
0: to everybody. Shout out JC, Jerry Carter.
1: JC, Shot, uh, Cole. Uh, got to shout out Josh. We can shout out everyone. Creative team, social team. Shout out to, shout out to you for bringing me on to talk about it. Shout it's a team win. Great team win. Speaking of team
0: wins, Jazz. Winners. I got, You picked it up. You picked it up. Of 15 of the last 16 Playing so well. Four wins on the trot after that loss to the Nuggets last weekend. They're playing really well. And frankly, they've got one against one of the teams that you really care about, Niall. The Boston Celtics. Shit. You grew up a Celtics fan. I, I know I didn't plan this, but I'm wearing green. I thought it green.
1: Why are you wearing green?
0: <laughs> on this podcast uh, recording. Niall, where did it start? Why were you a Celtics fan? What are the feelings heading into Tuesday's matchup live on TNT?
1: Oh, we just cannot wait for the game. I cannot wait for the game. Um, so excited. Yes, I grew up a Celtics fan. I still have love for the Celtics. Um, but no, I'm not cheering them on tomorrow. The love for the Celtics came from it's very easy, very simple. My brother was a huge Kobe fan. All right. And I thought Kobe was great. But what team did Kobe play for? Kobe played for the Lakers. And instead of me, I don't like to say, oh, I like the team because my brother liked the team. That's lame. So I'm like, I'm going to like the team that my brother hates because, like, you Celtics Celtics rivalry and you have to keep the rivalry alive in the household, which is why I became a Celtics fan. Also was a huge fan at the time. I think I was, it was right after they won a championship. Um, so it was, like, 2008. Um, I think it was, like, the super team with Paul Pierce. Ray Allen, Kevin Garnett, and then um, Rajon Rondo. And I just, like, loved how they jailed. And I think I just like really good teams, and I just think they got along so well. So it was so much fun watching them play. And I think that's really just kind of where it stemmed from. I was uh, in middle school, not really knowing too much, and I was like, I'm going with that team. That's easy. So been a fan through the ups and downs. Um, Now I go with the team that signs my check. (laughs) And so I'm here with the Jazz, but it is a great, it's great being a Jazz fan. I feel like I am just at peace. I feel like every time they go on the court, you never know what you, you never know what you're gonna get, except you know you're gonna get a win nine times out of 10 or 15, 15 times out of 16. Um, so yeah, I'm excited. This is, it's a, it's a homestand coming up. How are you feeling about this homestand? The Eastern Conference is here.
0: Yeah, we talked about it with Haberstro Last time on the podcast, this is gonna be a tough one because you're taking on some of the top teams in the East. It started last week, where you're you're going to face six of the top eight. Top eight teams. Those are playoff teams that you're going to be facing. And the Jazz can prove themselves as one of those elite teams in this league going up against the Celtics on national television. And then they got the Bucks on Friday, which might be the biggest of the games that they have coming up that and the no. Sixers game Sixers game yeah. next week but Bucks Jazz if you're looking for one where you're seeing those power rankings that people put out on Mondays today a lot of te- a lot of people have Bucks Jazz 1 2 in their
1: power rankings so far okay yeah no the Buc- yeah the Bucks is pretty big i'm like kind of like a toss up between the Bucks and the Sixers um, but we can't forget that there's a back to back against the heat the next day. And of course, like the heat, you know, they're not a playoff team right now, but they were in the finals last year. So it could, we don't know what we're going to get. And then back to backs are not easy. We've done it before. We've done pretty well, clearly. Um, but we don't know what we're going to get. So this is pretty, pretty interesting. Um, I'm excited for it. I'm nervous they're all home games. Um it's going to be interesting. <laughs> I'm like I am I'm, I'm with you on that. I'm like I'm looking at the power rankings. I'm like this is this is crazy, but the way this team has been playing, I well, you want do we play can we place um guesses cuz we can't place bets. Can we play guesses? You or can no? do guesses. Yeah, sure. Guesses. Educated I, guesses? Educated guesses. 15 out of 16 games that we have won since the beginning of the year. Um, I want to say for four for four. (laughs) Four for four. That would be pretty bold. No, I think, well, yeah, four for four. I'm going
0: four for four. I think if you head out of this tough stretch, three wins, okay, you win more than you lose. And above 500, that can set you up for a nice finish to February because it only gets harder. You've got the Clippers at the end of the month, the Lakers as well. And then heading into the All-Star break, you're also going to see this Sixers team once again before you wrap things up. So setting themselves up with wins against the East could go a long way.
1: Yeah, so I'm thinking like, I say four for four because I want to speak positively. Um, But... I do think that if they were to lose one game, surprisingly, I don't think it's going to be to the, the playoff, the ones that are in the playoff. I think they're actually going to beat the Celtics, Bucks, knock on wood for all of this, but Celtics, Bucks, and Sixers. I think with the, coming off a of back to back, um, playing the Bucks, and then going, because they're going to probably go really, really hard for the Bucks. I'm nervous about with the heat, how tired people are going to be feeling, and all that great stuff. And the Heat have a lot to prove. They have a lot to prove right now. So if that's that might be the one game that could be, because you win you win the Bucks game, you're on a high, and then you face the Heat, and it gets, it's going to be it's not going to be easy. It's not going to be easy, and then you have a little bit of a break if you lose, and you have to face the Sixers. You have momentum. I'm okay with that as well. So we shall see. And
0: you have to keep an eye on Mike Conley. How how is his hamstring doing? Uh, you saw how it affected the team against Indiana. They were able to grind out that win. Yeah. But it took a little bit more than just a, a normal jazz blowout that you've been accustomed to watching over the last couple of weeks. But he really is so crucial to the way that they play offensively. Will he be available come Friday night against those Bucks and those Heat on Saturday? We'll see. Yeah.
1: I'm praying that he's you know, okay, I'm praying that he was just being smart and knows his body. He's a better in this league, so he knows, okay, I'm feeling this is feeling a little weird here. Let me sit out. Let me go back to the locker room and let me sit this one out um, and get my body right versus him pulling or doing something. Any, any more real strain on his hamstring. So praying that he'll be all right, that he takes these next, maybe he takes tomorrow as a rest. Um, and yeah, just, just cross his fingers on that. Or yeah, I don't want him sitting out for the bucks. But at the end of the day, health comes first. Your body comes first. You have to listen to your body. So prayers up for him. Um, But it is great to see how the team is able to adjust uh, when one of their stars with all star voting, you guys can vote for Mike Conley um, with one of their stars being out.
0: And and Donovan having the almost triple double against Indiana. He took so much of the Mike Conley playmaking role, having those 11 assists almost notched it with that last rebound at the end, but he couldn't get it before the, The horn.
1: Who was the last person to get a triple double?
0: Guest on this podcast coming up right after you, Carlos Boozer against the Sonics. Wow. Hold on for that. Carlos Boozer also relates to our Jordan Clarkson moment of the the day. So remind me when we get to Jordan Clarkson in just a minute. (laughs) I want to hear from you just because we gave you some homework over the last (laughs) podcast. How's it going? You decide to dive deep into a hundred things every jazz fan should know. I am enjoying this exercise because as the jazz get better, they're going to get more fans. People are going to jump onto the boat. Let's educate people and get them into the fold. You are someone coming from Washington, grew up a Celtics fan, learning about this
1: team. What did you pick up? Cracked it for sure. First of all, um, I have to give a major shout out to our teammate, Aaron Folk, because he is a celebrity and he is in this book. Um, He has witnessed a lot of jazz history at his tender age of 21. And we are so thankful to have him. Um, Barely drinking age. Barely drinking. Barely, barely drinking. Um, But yeah, no. uh, The first few stories are kind of things that you kind of already know. Um, but it gives you a little bit more of an in-depth talks about like the first one is John Stockton and Karl Malone. And then you get a chapter on Karl Malone and a chapter on John Stockton. Then you get a chapter on Jerry Sloan, who are all such key people um, and people, people of this organization. You have forward from F- Frank Layden, who is former NBA, uh, former coach and general manager. Um, and it's interesting because it's, it's so cool to see I didn't realize how John Stockton and Karl Malone when they were both drafted, how um, they weren't people that, I wasn't around during that time when they were drafted. So people were not super excited about them. They're like, for John Stockton, they're like, why are you picking up another point guard? He got booed when
0: they announced the name.
1: Why are you doing that? And then with Karl Malone, he was later on down in the draft, 13th pick, which is a dink because so was Donovan Mitchell. Um, So... It's interesting, like reading that, I didn't realize that they were not um, welcomed fully with open arms, but their relationship, I mean, to be teammates for so long, that's insane. Like that, that's insane No, they have a real true bond. Um, but you hear about John Stockton and the first thing you think of is Karl Malone. So interesting to read that, reading about Jerry Sloan's and his techniques and, oh, I didn't realize. Again, another thing that I didn't I didn't get to witness was the shot um, that John Stockton had against the what team was it? What team was it? What team? Rockets. Rockets, of course. The Houston Rockets, who we are always um, competing against. It seems like we're always competing against uh, in big playoff games and big playoff series. Um, but against the Rockets, I didn't know the shot. I don't. I didn't really know about the shot, which is known as. One of the biggest plays and moments in NBA history so kind of reading about that and then it is interesting reading about John Stockton because they talk about how he was really you know he would have such a great night but he would point it back to the team and a lot of our players are like that on this very team they always you know they can have a great night but they're like I got I had a great night because this person did this this person had a a great assist here it was because oh he got the rebound and that's how I was able to get the shot and I think that really makes this team stand out and super special. And it's interesting to to read about John Stockton and see that he kind of had that similar mentality.
0: He has been one of the ethoses of this entire organization since Stock, since Carl and, and Frank Layden, even back to the U- old Utah stars. I just finished another book about basketball. It's called Loose Balls no not an FCC violation that's the actual title it's about the ABA the American Basketball Association so you had the ABA and the NBA and guess who was with the Utah Stars Ron Boone radio broadcaster for the team got to read up on that but there's such a, a history of thinking team before the individual with not only that organization the Utah Stars and with the Utah Jazz I'm glad you're getting into it. Did you watch the clip of of John hitting that shot? No, I haven't got to watch it yet. I haven't got to watch it. Pull it up right now. Pull it up right now. And let's get a live reaction of you watching the shot. Mind you, mind you, I'm also a little bit young. Wasn't able to have a great memory of this watching it. I was just a a little, little baby. It's one of those things growing up here that you start to learn about. Yeah. You being new to here, do you have it? up. Uh-oh. Stockton, open three. Yeah!
1: John Stockton sends the Utah Jazz to the NBA Finals. He is off the ground stop the, stop of the, Charles Barkley. It. it makes it so much better that it's yeah, over Charles yeah, Barkley, too. I it's over. I
0: can't
2: it. Utah goes to Chicago. Wow. Stockton hits the three. It's over. The Jazz are coming to Chicago. Wow.
0: So many nineties jazz basketball fans were recreating that one in the driveway. And the way that he jumped, mind you, this was like 10 years of seeing John Stockton never react to anything. Just be the stoic stone faced guy that would always go about his business, pick and roll with Carl, just pass it off. Team, team, team. Him to have that moment. Where he shoots the ball over Charles Barkley, maybe an illegal screen by Carl, doesn't matter. He makes the shot and he has that just burst of enthusiasm where he's yeah. jumping in the air. You were, were laughing at how high he was getting up. I was like, who is
1: that that's up so high? <laughs> that's so perfect. Okay, well, I'm glad I could have that moment. Now I feel like a real jazz fan. I have to get through these 100 things. Um, it's gonna take some time, y'all, because I'm working. So. I get through, like, I might get through, like, six, or six a week.
0: Here's another recommendation. If you're looking for more things about the shot, Aaron, when he was with the Tribune, him and the great writers over there, they did an oral history of what happened after the shot. Oh, really? So, yeah, so they talked to Gordy Chiesa, who you can hear sometimes on the radio station. He was an assistant coach with that team. He talked about how, when he got home, he just took a whiskey shot, had himself buzzing after they were arrived from the airport. He talks to the players that were involved and they recreate the scene in the Salt Lake Tribune. Just look up the shot, SL Trib, and you'll be able to find it.
1: All right. Look it up.
0: Another reading Another series
1: assignment. For you.
0: <laughs> Wow. I I'm glad, I'm glad that you're getting into a little bit of jazz history, because wow. this, this is a good reminder for people who are just getting into the team, or maybe they know these things, but look, it's the shot. Everybody wants to recount exactly. a happy memory. Let's talk about it. Exactly. So now, no, you're getting into it. Good to see.:
1: I can't be a content reporter and not do my research, so why we're here.:
0: <laughs> Enjoy. And with that, happy Niall Campbell Monday before we go. Jordan Clarkson moment of the day. Our next guest, Carlos Boozer, played alongside JC when they played for the Los Angeles Lakers back in 2015. It is Carlos Boozer, and he joins Round Ball Roundup.
2: Thank you very much. Thanks for thanks for having me on. Yeah, a lot of, a lot of blessings coming in the skies with this COVID situation, and I got an opportunity to go – Back to my alma mater uh, virtually online and uh, finish my degree. So definitely excited about that.
0: What's a favorite class?
2: Honestly, I had a I had an amazing class which was really relevant to what we have going on in the country. It was a it was a race, power, and identity class, and it was just very relevant for the some of the social injustices that we've seen, uh, especially of late. So it kind of gave us a background of. Uh, our history in this country and it was honestly it was really eye-opening and kind of a revelation so it was it was a good class
0: well that's great because as you see with the jazz right now donovan mitchell being on the forefront of some of these issues even have jordan clarkson uh, players of all ilks what do you think has has changed to allow players to use their voice a little bit more nowadays
2: well we honestly we've had so many athletes throughout the years uh just to name one obviously muhammad ali was one of the more uh famous ones that used his platform to speak on some of the social injustices and obviously of recent time i don't know if you remember the espy awards back in the uh back a few years back when lebron carmelo chris paul and dwayne wade kind of stood up for the same thing um just i, I think it's amazing uh, jordan clarkson's a really good friend of mine we played together in, his rookie year, he was my rook when we were in LA together um, with the Lakers and uh, Donovan Mitchell's doing a phenomenal job of kind of leading the torch with the Jazz in multiple different ways in the community obviously on the court as well. It's great to have guys use their platforms to kind of raise the awareness um, of some of these social injustice issues or just social issues in general but especially with the injustices that we have going on. So I applaud that. I, you know, I think more athletes should get involved, more people that have a voice to get involved to kind of help those who don't have a voice. So I'm a, I'm a big advocate of that.
0: What was Jordan Clarkson being your rook? What what'd you put him through?
2: Not, not nothing. This, honestly, J.C. <laughs> was amazing. Great dude. Uh, never complained. He was the first, first one in the gym, last one to leave the gym. Had no complaints about getting bags or getting donuts or or just hanging out. He was terrific, terrific rookie. He's a phenomenal asset to the Jazz, by the way. I've watched some of the games. He comes off that bench like a microwave and just cooks up for you guys. So, uh, you guys definitely got got a real a real great asset right there in in JC.
0: What I'm surprised with JC is how well he gets along with everybody on the team. The good vibe tribe. Oh, yeah. He can work with a, a dad like Joe Ingles being able to to yeah. speak to him, and then also a young guy like Donovan Mitchell. He's fits seamlessly in this group as somebody that can just work in a locker room.
2: Yeah, J.C. got a great temperament, man. He's, a, he's a, a, a great pro, hard worker, and he's also a guy that's been on a couple teams now, like Lakers, went to Cleveland, obviously now being in Utah. So he's been around multiple different kinds of teammates. you know. And so for him, he, he's one of those guys that's always been a glue guy. He, he brings the team together. And he was like that as a, as a rookie in L.A. He was one of those guys that would you know, want to do anything to be a part of the team, to help the team succeed but you needed him to start. Play 35, 40 minutes a night or if we needed him to come off the bench or he, whatever his role is, he's totally okay with that. And he's turned into a, just honestly a six man of the year candidate, in my opinion.
0: What else have you seen from the Jazz just watching them from afar?
2: Yeah, I mean, me, me and me and Darren, me and D Will were talking about it a couple of weeks back. It, it's great to see these young guys blossom. Like, I think Gobert is kind of one of the premier defenders at the center position in the league. Obviously, you know, when Defensive Player of the Year proves that, but. He just really does a great job of anchoring that defense and, and locking, blocking. We would love to have Gobert when we were playing with the Jazz. I'll tell you <laughs> yeah. that right now. Oh, yeah. <laughs> we could have used, used his skill set, his size, and ability um, when we were going against Kobe and the Lakers and, and Tim, Timmy, Timmy Duncan and the Spurs back then. But um, And then Donovan just really blossomed every year. Like I don't think everybody expected him to do what he's able to do. You know, we all knew he was a great talent, you know, obviously, a great athlete. But for him to be able to transform into a knockdown three-point shooter, great playmaker for his teammates, a guy that you can depend on to get 25, 30, 35, whatever many points that you need to secure the win and still be a leader and be humble, like he's he's phenomenal. He's what the game is all about, like one of the great young ambassadors for this game to take it into the next, into the future. And uh, Happy is a part of the Jazz.
0: So 12-year-old me sees a center as a Mehmet O'Kerr bombing from three, yeah. and then now 27-year-old yeah. me sees a Rudy Gobert as just a dominant rim protector, deflecting people from even taking shots at the rim. How have you seen the center position change even over your career that you played?
2: You know, it's funny you mention that because you think they would be in different eras. Yeah. Like you think a Joel, uh, uh, um, I'm sorry, a, uh, a Rudy Gobert would be back in the early, you know, 2000s dominating with the rest of the amazing big guys that we had in the league at the time, you know, Alonzo Mornings and the Kembe McCumbos and Jermaine O'Neals and Ben Wallaces and there were more, you know, Shaquille O'Neals, they were more post up back to the basket centers in that time. And you think Memo Kerr would be right now in the 2020s shooting threes and picking the popping. It's like it's like their eras are reversed. But you know, Memo had an incredible skill set. He was he was ahead of his time. You know, he was a, he was really our best three point shooter and he played our center position. Um, obviously, Kyle Korver came in that change because Kyle was a, a pure pure knockdown. But Memo was like top five in the league in three point percentage most of his career with us in Utah. Um, we create space for me and D will to kind of maneuver in that paint, pick and rolls, and drive to the basket um, so that we can you know dominate the paint and, and his shooting really spread the floor out, especially when we played against Houston with Yao Ming and the size that they had. And then To be able to watch Gobert, he's just a dominant force. The Eiffel Towers, he's just incredible. He blocks every shot. He gets every rebound. Um, and if he doesn't block the shot, he changes people's shots in the paint, which is what you want from that center position. Um, just a great asset for, for the Jazz to have moving forward. That's why I'm, I'm happy they locked him up. I'm happy they locked up uh, Donovan Mitchell as well.
0: Well, the future definitely does look bright for this team let's go back a little bit because those aspirations that your teams had pretty similar to what these guys have right now. What did it take to get to the Western conference finals? What were the blood, sweat and tears that you guys had to pour in to be able to accomplish your goals once it got to the postseason?
2: Yeah. I mean, we, first of all, we were blessed with, with legendary, you know, Jerry Sloan may rest in peace to this day is my favorite coach that I got to play for in the NBA. Um, you know coach set the tone that you know we all as a team we we have guys that will have different roles. everybody's roles on the team will be different, but everybody will have the same amount of work you know as far as strength training, practices, you know guys had to practice, guys had to train but we, and we every and we, we our roles were defined, and everybody bought in I mean what that means is there was people that had to take sacrifices for the betterment of the group, and our group was okay with that. Um, I think you know sacrifice for the betterment of the group is one of those key elements that kind of don't doesn't get talked about a lot but when you watch these teams that have success like the Lakers that won championships or you watch gold championships or you you know you watch all these teams that make it to the finals with hopes of winning a championship they have guys that that's okay with taking a back seat to to what's best for the team like for example you may have a guy like a Jordan Clarkson who would be a starter on a lot of teams. He can score the ball with the best of them. He knows how to put the ball in the basket. He has a nose for that. He's a, he's a fierce competitor. But he's okay with being your guy's a six-man because he knows other guys are out in the side of the lineup that play in front of him. you got to have, like on our team, we had Andre Karolinko, who was an all-star, Melvin O'Kerr, you know, Paul Millsap, who had become became an all-star because he was playing behind an all-star and myself in Utah, Aaron Williams. We had... We had so many different guys, different elements, Ronnie Brewers and Kyle Corvers and Matt Harprings, and we had a very dynamic group of guys. And honestly, any one of these guys could have been starters on other teams, but these guys were okay with taking the sacrifice for the betterment of the group, and we were able to, you know, get as far as we could, obviously running into a supremely talented San Antonio Spurs team, um, who, you know, with that dynasty that they had there. But think about their team. You got a guy like Manu Ginobili who puts up 20, 25 points a night, and he was was more suited to come off the bench. He liked that role. He relished in that role. When he easy could have demanded to be a starter, but he sacrificed that, you know, egotistical asset so that he could be a great asset for the team. So I, I just feel like when you got guys that are okay with their role, when you have a leadership like Jerry Sloan or someone that can tell everybody the vision that he has and everybody buys in, and people make the sacrifice, and then you work towards the same goal, um, you know, good things can happen. This team definitely has a, a team that can compete for a title. The Lakers are very good. The Clippers are very good. There's teams out there that are very good. But you, the Utah Jazz are right there in that mix. They got great pieces. They got shooting. They got defense. They got a very good coach in Clint Snyder. They got a great coaching staff there. And they got a closer in Donovan Mitchell. So when you have those, those kind of elements you definitely have the pieces to the puzzle if you can put together the wins that you need in the, in the course of, of the playoff series, depending on who you match up with. You know, it's, hard to, it's hard to win a playoff series, and it's very hard to win four in a row. So you know, if you're able to do it and you guys all buy in, you make some sacrifices, do all those blood, sweat, and tears that you talked about, they can have a chance to, to, to possibly compete in the Western Conference Finals and maybe get a chance to go to the finals.
0: I hear you bring up Quinn Snyder, and I think of another Dookie in the NBA. What is it in the water that gets you guys as sort of that pipeline to this league.
2: I mean, you gotta have a certain couple of tangibles to get to Duke. You know, like Coach K does a great job of recruiting guys that can handle you know, just to be in the fire. You know, sometimes you gotta you gotta have guys that are okay being uncomfortable. And that's what it's gonna be. And as as you continue to go through your career, you're gonna grow. And one of the you know, one of the the only way you can really grow is by getting outside of your comfort zone, which means you've got to be okay with being uncomfortable. And so that's what Coach K looks for, guys that are okay with being uncomfortable and don't have an ego in the way of being able to grow and go through some of the growing pains that come with it. You know, Quinn, Quinn's actually the one that recruited me to go to Duke, a phenomenal coach. He was actually a phenomenal player, first of all, and then did a great job there, did a great job at Missouri, done a great job with Utah Jazz, as you guys can see the success that you have there. You can tell by a great coach when you see the response of the players. The players respond to Quinn, and that's that's how you know he's a phenomenal coach. Um, so I'm very happy for him, very excited for him. Obviously, you know, he's doing a great job with this team, and honestly, I, I, I'm rooting for him to get a championship. It's a tall task. There's some really talented teams that are sitting to at the top of the Western Conference, and there's some really talented teams at the top of the Eastern Conference as well. So, um, you know, but I, I do think that the Jazz are one of those real contenders that have a chance to come out the West.
0: Was Quinn there for the Coach K Army Helmet story?
2: He was not there. No. So when I got <laughs> when I, he recruited me to Duke, I'm glad you heard that, Bob. When he recruited me to Duke, the year I came in was the same his first year at Missouri. Okay. So I never got actually got a chance to 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 play under under Quinn, but um, you know his career really took off as a head coach after after he recruited us to Duke.
0: Well, take me back to that Coach Gay Army Helmet story.
2: Yeah, we, we really we lost a tough game. I want to say it was like we lost a game at Clemson or at Florida State. Um, and Coach felt like we didn't attack. We just weren't in an aggressive mind state. We weren't playing Duke basketball how we normally played. And we're, we're usually the aggressor on offense and defense. But for some reason, that game, we, that game against Clemson or that game against Florida State, we took a L because we weren't playing. You know, we weren't being true to who we truly are, like our, our real identity. So we get back and we we got a big time game with a big time rival in the Maryland Terrapins coming up. And they were, I think they were ranked in the top five or top ten, or just just like we were. We actually met them in the in the uh, semifinal of the Final Four that year. And this game was, you know, regular season game, but to us, these our, every game that we played meant everything to us. We wanted to prove that we were the best team in the country every year. And we fell short that, that that game on that Saturday night to to Clemson or Florida State. So we get in the locker room for the Maryland game and uh, the entire room is snow white. Looks Paper's like Utah right now. Center. Yeah, looks it like, looks like Park City, Utah, Salt Lake <laughs> right now. So you open the door of the locker room and there's little white pieces of paper all over the locker room and the bathroom stall and your locker where your jersey hangs at. Uh, on the TV where we watch film and inside of the paper on every single piece of paper was the word attack. And so we're like, we can't even get dressed. So we all just sit down. We're waiting for coach to come in. Coach K does a somersault rolls into the locker room with the army helmet on, army fatigue helmet on and goes, "Attack!" (laughs) after we watched like a 20 minute clip of Braveheart, when the guy's riding on the horse, getting his troops ready to go into battle. Um, a 60-year-old guy rolling into the locker room, you know, Coach K with all his accomplishments still has that incredible touch to be able to motivate some 18-year-old kids to get them to get outside themselves and get uncomfortable and so that they can grow and come together as a team and go out there and tack against Maryland. Coach K, seriously, may be the best motivator I've ever seen, most creative motivator I've ever seen in sports.
0: Well, it- And I'm sure he's shown it at not only that college level, but doing it with the Olympic team, motivating players. He was great. Yeah, he was great. How does he do that sort of dance when you're going from college students to now you're working with professionals at the Olympics?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think – I tell people all the time, like one of the greatest gifts that Coach K has is being able to unite people from around the the globe. Like he recruited me out of Juneau, Alaska – Jay Williams was coming from New Jersey. Tommy D was coming from Oregon. Casey Sanders was coming from uh, Florida. Shane Battier was coming from Michigan. Like he was able to recruit guys, um, and, and get them on campus or get them in a gym, and, and 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 let them believe that they need the guy next to them, and that guy needs the guy next to him, and that guy to make everybody a team. It's like that army mentality. Like you need the guy next to you to survive. That's what he does in a very short period of time to have us all fighting for a common goal, whether it's an NCAA championship or, in this case, with the Olympic team, gold medals. And so because he has that unique skill to unite people from all over the globe, you know, the great thing about uh, coaching pros is that we're already Mm self-motivated. So you don't have to motivate us. We're here because we want to win a gold medal. We're, We're willing to sacrifice our summers. So that we can, you know, represent our the United States of America in the Olympic Games and compete to win a gold medal. So that, that element is already there. You got twelve of the dopest players on the planet and the same gym on the same team. Our team was loaded. We had, you know, LeBron James and Kobe Bryant and Jason Kidd were our captains. And we had Dwayne Wade and Carmelo Anthony and uh, myself and Dwight Howard and Chris Bosch and then our point guards outside of Jason Kidd was Darren Williams and chris paul and then we have michael redd who was a knockdown shooter great score and then we had a kind of a, a swiss army knife and 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 Tayshaun prince who won a championship with the detroit pistons kind of an unsung hero with that group um we had a loaded squad of 12 great players we had a phenomenal coaching staff with coach k and greg popovich and my and, uh, jim bayheim and, and the, the, you know steve Jahowski, johnny dawkins the whole you know duke crew um, but it was just one of those incredible atmospheres where coach just knows how to he's a great leader of men. He knows how to reach players and get them on the same page. And um that's what he did with our team. And again, what I talked about earlier in the in the podcast about the Utah Jazz and how we were able to make it to the Western Conference Finals and, and basically guys sacrificing uh individual accolades for the betterment of the group. That's what we did with this two thousand eight, you know, Olympic team. Um our start. Let me tell you our starting five. Our starting five was Jason Kidd, uh, Kobe Bryant, LeBron James, uh, Carmelo Anthony, and Dwight Howard. Who do you think led our team in scoring? LeBron. No, the great guess. He played and he played out of his mind. Great guess. Dwayne Wade, off the bench, was our leading scorer with that Olympic team. And so, just what I'm trying. The point I'm trying to get across. Uh, to your listeners, to, to the guys tuning into this show, and hopefully some of the players are, are listening to it as well, is Dwayne Wade is maybe the third, fourth best two-guard in the history of, of the NBA. You know, Just depending if you go MJ, Kobe, Allen Iverson, Dwayne Wade, or maybe you have Dwayne Wade above AI. But he's probably the, the fourth best, third or fourth best two-guard of all time, three championships, all the accolades that he has. And he was totally fine and okay with coming off the bench. And in fact, he relished in that role, and was our leading scorer. Like so, and we won the gold medal. Great game against Spain. I don't know if you guys remember; it's a long time ago, but great game, great championship game against Spain. And Kobe took over the game in the last, you know, four or five minutes of that game for us to secure the victory. But Dwayne Wade was our leading scorer off the bench, and had no problem being that because he knew that if he, if we all could sacrifice a little something, take a little bit less shots, sacrifice our bodies, take the charge. Um, and so forth those are just examples who we'd be, we'd be champions forever and that's what happened
0: as someone who looks at it from like a jazz perspective now hearing that Dwayne Wade leading scorer somebody that he gets compared to Donovan Mitchell that sounds like right. like something that that could get a lot a lot of jazz fans excited since Absolutely. to get you out on this I have to ask you give me the story behind and one Yelling it after every single play and one something that yeah. I I cannot erase from my early basketball memories what, What's the story behind?
2: Yeah. it? Yeah, yeah, man So when I first got in the NBA, um, you know it, it, Rookies have to earn their stripes. It's just part of any job if you you know, you're a sports reporter If you're a teacher or if you're at, you know, a basketball player when you just reach a new level when you level up and you get to the next level in this case the NBA kind of got to earn your stripes so I remember my rookie year I'm going through the, through the hole getting a lot of contact thinking I got fouled and not getting a call And I wasn't saying nothing I was keeping quiet and I, but I was frustrated because I wasn't shooting any free throws and I know I was getting fouled I've been playing basketball my whole life I know where the foul is so I just keep my mouth shut I'm a rookie I got to earn my stripes I'm aware my veterans told me this Um, and then I go into my second year in the league and I got a couple more calls, but not really. I mean, it was like, you know, I was probably shooting a couple of free throws a game, but I was getting fouled like four or five. I should have been shooting eight free throws a game. And I was like, okay, I'm just gonna keep quiet, keep earning my stripes. And then I was talking to I was talking to KG, and he talks the whole game. Ke- Kevin Garnett would talk the whole game. He talked to the referee, he talked to the opposing player, talked to the opposing he talked to you right now on the podcast. I'm just like, this guy's <laughs> always screaming. I'm like, yo, I gotta listen. I gotta start. You know, a, a closed mouth don't get fed. Yeah. So every time I would go into the hole, and I know I got fouled, and whether I made the shot, I missed the shot, I was screaming n one like that. <laughs> like I know I'm in there getting fouled. So eventually, the ref started checking me out, and next thing you know, I started shooting more free throws and actually getting more n ones. So that's where that came from. A
0: closed mouth doesn't get fed. That's the advice no, I want to leave, leave you. I want to leave you on the podcast. What a note to end on. He is with the ACC Network and ESPN, Carlos Boozer, joining us on Round Ball Roundup on utahjazz.com. Carlos, thank you so much for taking the time.
2: Man, my pleasure, man. I appreciate your patience, man. Kick ass. Good luck the rest of the year. Really am yeah, rooting for these Utah Jazz. I think they got a really good team. So looking forward to seeing that it closes up
0: ba <laughs> da